Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. It began long ago. Two young boys in an American town riding their bikes to school and Little League practice. Over the years, the boys became fast friends, united in their love for stories where things would go horribly wrong. Pour yourself a strong beverage and buckle up. You're in the shallow end with Schneebly and Toth. It's episode 64, if you can believe it, of the shallow end with Schneebly and Toth. Am I pronouncing that right? Um, I think it's Schneebly and Tothy. Schneebly and Tothy. Mm-hmm. Terrific. It is the shallow end, though, right? I am pronouncing that right? It is the shallow end. I thought you got the notes on this. Uh, I, I'm sure it went into my junk folder. <laughs> I'll have to look for it. Right. Something uh, a little bit of, of uh, I don't know if it's interesting or not. We'll let the, the listeners decide. But last week was a first in the history of the shallow end. Um, by way of comparison, <laughs> you and Kat have done 500 and... Are you up to 570 mm, box of oddities? I think we just did 568. 568, okay. Yeah. And in all that time, you guys have talked about how you've never, um, because like you and I do, you and Kat don't tell what the story is to the other person beforehand. And you guys have never in almost 570 episodes, which is actually 1,140 uh, stories, you guys have never repeated. You've, you're, you've never had the same story once in all those times. We've never done Which the I, same story on the same episode, and that I think is remarkable when when you when you look at the odds, <laughs> almost mathematically impossible. Next to it, yeah. And yet, last week for episode <laughs> sixty three, for the first time ever, JG and I had the exact same story. Yeah, that was the story you may recall about the. Uh, research laboratory and the well-meaning custodian turning off the beeping freezer. Yeah, yeah, that was really strange. That uh, it, because the the story it wasn't like it was a recent story. It happened three years ago. It wasn't like we both saw it on today's headlines or something. Right. We had to dig for that, and uh, and yet there it is. There we there we go, and I normally would would save this for the middle, but uh, we got an email from a listener named Dave, who says the story reminded me of another shallow end story from much earlier in my career. In the mid nineteen eighties, I worked for for one of the world's largest networking companies. The top floor of our building was mostly taken up with a huge old school computer room, filled with refrigerator sized equipment, including dozens of mainframe computers and perhaps fifty network servers. Those computers and servers supported hundreds of computer terminals within the building, as well as routing network traffic for many of our customers. The computer room had a badge reader on the outside to unlock the door, but the way you exited the room was a little odd. The door remained locked on the inside, but a motion detector would unlock the push bar when movement occurred near the inside of the door. 
Now, a fairly new employee or contractor happened to enter the computer room early on a Friday afternoon and after doing whatever they needed to do, apparently approached the door with, let's say, a minimum of motion. They tried pushing the door open several times, but the push bar remained locked because the motion detector hadn't triggered. They looked around near the door. They spotted a nearby red button labeled EPO and figured maybe pressing that button would unlock the door. (laughs) What they didn't know is EPO is an acronym for Emergency Power Off. Oh, no. Most of us get a long weekend starting immediately, except for the folks who had to spend the next two days powering back up every piece of equipment and reloading software on each server one at a time. Oh my In the gosh. wake of that incident, a clear plastic cover similar to those of our hotel fire alarms was placed over the EPO button along with a sign explaining what EPO stood for <laughs> and the utter chaos that would result if the button were pressed. Love your podcast, Dave. And that reminds me of a story. Uh, A friend of mine was working in radio in Chicago, and this was back in the mid-90s when automation software was just coming in. Instead of I remember that, yeah. Instead of playing a CD or playing a um, a record, uh, a vinyl record, uh, computers were now playing MP3s, and there was software that would automate that process. It was highly, it was high tech. It was all digital. It, touchscreen computers were were relatively new. It was it was a whole thing, and so they were expecting different technical bugs to happen. You know, the computer's right. going to run all of the software. It's going to run all of the songs, all the commercials. Something bad's going to happen. And sure. sure enough, like clockwork, one o'clock in the morning, every morning, all of the songs and commercials would all start firing at the same time. <laughs> and they couldn't figure it out. They went in, they checked the server, they went to all the, the server logs, and it was unexplainable. But yet, every night, One o'clock in the morning, everything would fire at the same time. So finally, a tech said, it was. And so finally, the tech said, I'm going to go and I'm going to sit there and I'm going to watch and see what happens. And what he saw was at one o'clock in the morning, the cleaning lady coming in, spraying Windex on the screen of the computer (laughs) and wiping it down. The touchscreen computer. Perfect. Yeah. So perfect. High-tech problem, low-tech solution. That's priceless. That's funny. Yeah, I don't think most people realize anymore that, it, by and large, anytime you're listening to radio, be it terrestrial or satellite radio, you're listening to um, to MP3s on a hard drive. Yeah, even the disc jockeys or the personalities, for the most part, it's all pre-recorded. It's yeah. not like it used to be, kids. Yeah. Don't look behind the curtain. You'll be horribly (laughs) disappointed. You'll be bitterly let down. (laughs) Anyway, you you got a story for me this week. I do. I do for episode 64. And by the way, JG and I realized after that mistake last week that we now send each other a very cryptic text saying, my story is about this in one sentence. Yeah. So that we don't repeat that that mistake. (laughs) Criminals have... uh, Wait a minute. My story's about criminals, too. Damn it! We actually checked this out. Criminals have have turned to the use of masks in committing crimes for quite a while. That that in itself is 
is not unusual. In fact, I think the the generic um, what would you call it the 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 logo or the artwork for for robbery or for a thief is a figure wearing a black eye mask and maybe a black hat. Yeah, yeah. Um, like the artist's rendition. Right, exactly. In fact, uh, though, the use of masks in the past few years has increased, but they've gotten more and more realistic, which when you think about it makes sense as technology improves and costs come down. In fact, back in 2010, customs officials in Canada uncovered what they called an unbelievable case of concealment at the border. And there was just something about this tourist that they they couldn't quite put their finger on it, but they, they could tell something was off. And it was a tourist coming in, clearing customs, who appeared to be uh, an elderly white male. Okay. But when they when they pulled the guy aside for a little extra questioning and they're staring at him they realize he's wearing a mask (laughs) and it turned out to be a young Asian male disguised as an elderly white male. Hmm. So he ends up taking the mask and, you know, mask off and getting, getting busted. But this story is actually, my story is two years later. This is back in 2012 in New York, specifically in Queens, New York. And it all takes place at a check cashing store called Payomatic, which I just love. That just sounds like such a <laughs> 1950s, you know, yeah. check cashing center of check cashing store of the future. You know, use the new Payomatic on Pennsylvania <laughs> Avenue. So people outside the Payomatic see a white van for a few days sitting on the street and they can't tell, but they think it's either two or three guys, males, uh, in this van. And they occasionally would get out of the van and, and walk around and then get back in the van and then drive away. And, but one day at the Payomatic check cashing store, uh, two of these guys walk into the store and identify themselves as NYPD detectives. Hmm. Now, they're they're both wearing dark blue jackets <clears throat> that have the NYPD logo, you know, on the on the, the chest of the jacket and right. NYPD in big letters on the back. And they're wearing police type badges uh, on, you know, chains around their necks. But pretty quickly, it's it's clear that these guys are not really cops because they both pull out guns <laughs> and say to the woman behind the counter, this is a robbery. Ah, yeah, and that's she, a tip off. Yeah. And she takes them back to an unlocked safe where there is $200,000 in cash. Wow. Sitting in an unlocked safe. Payomatic's doing pretty well for themselves. <laughs> Payomatic makes robbery easy. <laughs> Our unlocked safes make robbery a breeze. Uh one of the first questions I had was, why would you have an unlocked safe with that amount of money? But I don't know. I've Inside never job, maybe? Yeah, maybe. But these guys are wearing thick gloves. They've got uh, dark uh, sunglasses. 
hiding their eyes. They're wearing uh, ball caps. So it's almost nearly impossible to identify them. The only thing that they they did that was even creepier than pulling guns and taking the $200,000 from the store is before they leave, they turn back to this woman, this employee at Payomatic, and they say, if you say anything to anybody about us, we're going to kill you. And then they throw down on the counter a photograph. And that photograph is a shot, a still photo of her house. Oh my God. Making her realize they know exactly where she lives and who she is. That's intimidating. Yeah, that's creepy. That's really creepy. So the only description that that she can give the real police, who are obviously called as soon as these guys leave, is, I think they were white, but I, I really couldn't, I really couldn't tell. They, they might be Latino, they might be black, but I, I think they were white. And this, this jibes sort of with what the neighborhood had seen for the two or three days prior to the robbery. Those guys in the van, everybody that remembered seeing those guys said, I'm pretty sure they were they were white guys. But as I said, they get away with $200,000. And they, they have the photo of her house. This woman is convinced just by calling the police that she's now going to be in trouble. Now, to a large degree, this ruse worked in that for months, the NYPD is, they've, they've assigned detectives to this case, and these guys keep coming up dead end after dead end because they're looking for, they think, th- uh, two or three white suspects. This takes us to a company called Composite effects. Composite effects is a company that makes incredibly realistic masks. Okay. They sell silicon masks starting at $569 per mask. So these aren't cheap. These are not cheap, but they are silicone. They're incredibly realistic and you can even customize them. Like you can add fake hair. You can change hair color. You can add a beard. You can make a goatee. You can do a full beard. You can do, you know, it's, it's whatever you're willing to pay for. Well, these crooks apparently used this company and they ordered a version of the, uh, the mask model called Mac MAC, the guy. This company's (laughs) actually named this particular mask Mac, the guy. And I said, as I said, he starts at $569. Well, not he, but the mask starts at $569. But they ended up um, upgrading this. So in, in this case, they added goatees to the, to the masks. And these masks are white. The, the skin looks like a white person's skin. Right. Now, the, the company's website says about Mac the Guy... Whether you want an ordinary Joe, a handsome man, or a blank palette to let your imagine take over for our many customization options, 
Mac is sure to be perfect for several occasions. <laughs> of course he so, is. So, yeah. Now, the, the website goes on to point out that the masks are for entertainment purposes only. <laughs> of course they are. Which I think is, is very, very smart. Uh-huh. But somewhere along the line, the NYPD gets a tip, an anonymous tip, saying you should contact CFX, Composite Effects, CFX, and ask them about this robbery, which is really weird. Hmm. But it's the only lead they have. So they do. And they contact the company and say, hey, we're we're following up. Uh, do you happen, would you have any reason to suspect that maybe a previous customer might have used your mask to rob this store. Hmm. And somehow the company goes back into their records because they have a bit of a time frame to deal with. Right. And they actually come across an email from a gentleman named Edward Byam. And Edward Byam has written an email to, to CFX <laughs> After the robbery. And in this email, he says, I'm sending this message to say I'm extremely pleased by CFX's work on my mask. The realism of the mask is unbelievable. So then, now they've got a name. Uh-huh. Uh, they, they've got an email address. Uh, they end up getting a real address because they're NYPD and... You know, that's that's what they do for a living. <laughs> but they realize that they have been looking for the wrong guys. They have been looking for two or three white criminals. Now, in addition, and th this is just phenomenal detective work, they also go to uh, a Walgreens photo counter photo department not far from where this robbery took place the payomatic and they are able to somehow find a, a digital version of that photo that the crooks threw down on the counter and the person who bought that photo and had it printed out is a guy named Edward Byam. Oh, wow. Same spelling. He not only has his home address where they have, they have mailed the photo, <laughs> but he also put his home phone. Oh, my God. Down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So now they've got, you know, they've got his email saying, boy, I, I have to commend you on the quality of your work. It's made my, it's made my work a lot easier. Uh -huh. We're not saying, of course, exactly what his work is, but they trace the photo back to his house. They've got the phone number on a receipt. They've got the email. The owner of the mask company, a guy named Wes Branton, he owns CFX, that mask company. And he says to the police, the person who purchased the masks gave us no indication of any intentions to use the product for illegal purposes. Mm -hmm. While customer privacy is extremely important to us, mm. we, of course, cooperate with law enforcement if criminal activity is involved. 
So indeed it was. So the two are arrested, a guy named Edward Byam, he's 24 years old, and a guy named Akim Monsalvatage, he's 37 years old, both of Queens, both are black. Ah. And they get, they get arrested months later, and they ended up uh, charged with armed robbery. And uh, <laughs> I thought this was a nice little touch, imperting a, impersonating a police officer. Okay, yeah. Which I think was just a little, a, a little F you from the NYPD. Like, okay, we understand your armed robbery, but yeah. don't pretend to be cops. We, ta- we take that stuff pretty seriously. Impersonating Mac the guy. Mac the guy. And in doing a little more research, I found out that one of the biggest uh, robberies in London years ago was the same M.O. It was two crooks who hired a professional makeup artist to disguise them for a robbery using liquid latex and masks. That cost them $720 a piece and it was a four-hour process. They did that the day of the robbery. And at one point when this makeup artist says, so what are you guys doing this for? <laughs> they look at each other like, oh, crap, we got to come up with an excuse. And mm-hmm. so they said, oh, we're, we're going to be in a, in a music video in a few hours. And, and they want us to wear these masks. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. they, they went and pulled off the robbery. See, but- they, they should schedule the robbery for... Halloween, and then you've there got you go. the perfect alibi. It's the perfect alibi. I'm headed to a to a Halloween uh, a full costume party later in the night with a cash think prize. With a cash prize, it could be two hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> I just think it's amazing that you would not only be dumb enough to get well, I guess, dumb enough to commit the robbery in the first place, but to have the photo of the of the victim's house <laughs> sent to you and then to take the time to send an email after the robbery saying hey i just have to commend you on the quality of your work <laughs> yeah got this from abc news the gothamist abajournal.com and the daily mail that's amazing now as you were talking about those masks i have seen videos where people use those masks uh there's a um a basketball player. He calls himself the professor. Have you heard of this guy? I have not. He's uh, he's a, he's he's. Uh, they say too short to play in the NBA, but the guy's a magician with a basketball, and okay. he uh, he's pretty short. And he he put on one of these realistic masks and made himself up to look like he was eighty, and then <laughs> and then goes down to like Venice Beach and just schools people. Um, oh, that's funny. It's it's really quite hilarious, and uh, it's very realistic. He comes out like you know with a cane and stuff, and he's got this mask on, and you'd swear he was eighty five years old or something, and then uh, just starts he absolutely balling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do they find him out and then pull the mask off and beat the crap out of him? For <laughs> no, twenty. No, I think. He- <laughs> I think he made his getaway undetected, but... uh, It's for comedic purposes only. That's funny. Yeah. That's funny. You know, JG, this is the time of year where people start planning family reunions for the summer. In fact, I have one coming up in June, and I'm absolutely convinced that these cousins that I haven't seen for a while are finally going to tell me, yeah, I listened to your podcast. 
I don't think you guys are very good. I didn't laugh. Well, humor is subjective. So while you may have to grin and bear with your family, you shouldn't feel that way when you're talking to your doctor about, I don't know, that you maybe eat pizza one too many times a week, something like that? Well, enter ZocDoc. That's the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable and actually listen to you. And these docs all have verified reviews from actual, real patients. And we're not talking about a few. We're talking about tens of thousands of doctors. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Look, people love this app and this website. Next time I'm looking for a doctor, this is definitely what I'm going to use. Go to ZocDoc.com slash TSE and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C.com slash T-S-E. ZocDoc.com slash T-S-E. When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. But what it actually was, was a warning, delivered to the Hessian colonel, letting him know that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware and would soon attack his forces. The next day, when Rawl lost the Battle of Trenton and died from two Colonial Boxing Day musket balls, the letter was found, unopened in his vest pocket. As someone with 15,000 unread emails in his inbox, I feel like there's a lesson there. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at constantpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Your kids love the taste of chocolate milk, but lately they've been looking for something a little different. Well, you're about to be a hero. Introducing new Mudville Chocolate Milk, the only chocolate milk with real mud and sand in every swallow. Regular chocolate milk is kind of boring, just chocolate and, well, milk. But Mudville is different. We blend traditional chocolate milk with 10% real mud and sand in every carton to give our milk that little something extra. Your kids will feel the grains of sand and small rocks in every mouthful. And while regular chocolate milk isn't very filling, Mudville chocolate milk drinkers report feeling full for as much as 48 hours afterward. That's a lot. Mudville chocolate milk should not be consumed by any child or adult with a sensitivity to sand in their stomach or intestines. People who are allergic to sand and rock should avoid Mudville chocolate milk. Side effects include searing abdominal cramps, bloating, nausea, vomiting, and a total blockage of the intestines. If any of these symptoms occur, place Mudville chocolate milk back in the refrigerator and call 911. Mudville chocolate milk, the only chocolate milk with something extra. Our email address is lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com. Got an email this week from a listener named Ashley. Always love that. Love that name. <laughs> you remember my story about uh, when I was at Disney working with an editor named Ashley and he was a dead ringer for uh, Woody Harrelson? Oh, yeah. And yeah, I, I he and I were editing yeah. together. And uh, and at the, at the time, at this post-production house, they would write the name of the editor and the producer on a little dry erase board outside the edit bay so that when somebody came in, they knew the names of the people inside the room. So it said Ashley and Lindsay. Mm -hmm. And he turns to me before we start work and says, what are the odds that somebody walks by the room, sees our names and thinks it's two guys sitting here in the room? (laughs) Ashley and Lindsay. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like the cast of Mean Girls. 
It does. It's. Uh, I think those were the two stars in Heather's, weren't they? <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. I, I think, think so. Right. Yeah. Ashley writes, good day, gentlemen. Ash here, hailing from the UK. Swindon, in particular, home of the world's most horrific roundabout and previously champion of being Europe's teenage pregnancy capital. Way <laughs> well, to con- go, Swindon. Congratulations. I'm not sure if the following counts as a shallow end moment, but I figured I'd let you both be the judge and jury. I used to work in a particularly well-known coffee shop here in the UK, and in my eternal modesty, I was very good at what I did. I was one of the fastest on the coffee machines in the region, even bringing back an accolade from a competition boasting the most brand standard drinks made in a 10-minute period. How is this relevant, you ask? Well, one day during the hectic Christmas period, Using my power as a supervisor, I ordered the two staff off of the coffee machine so I could take over to clear the queue spilling out from the door well into the street. Things went well for about an hour. No one waited more than three minutes for their order from leaving the till. Okay, so three minutes from ordering to getting their coffee. Invigorated by my speed and efficiency, I tried going faster, not considering that I was using mugs faster than they could even be cleaned. (laughs) The entire stock of cups on top of the coffee machine ended up being placed still wet from the dishwasher out back. Showboating, I was tossing cups in the air, (laughs) performing high-end latte art, and making completely unnecessary movement, all being lost in the moment. At the top of my game, riding the high of not only managing a Christmas lunchtime rush, but reveling in it, I was brought low by a simple cup of tea. What a great sentence. I tossed the cup in the air only to miss my first attempt to grab it. As it flew toward the counter, I reached out with my other hand only to put it through the shattered china the second it collided with the surface. Blood flooded the counter and splattered the machine. Oh, no. I immediately rushed out back, and using my very limited knowledge of first aid, I decided to place the open wound under running water. Mm. Oh, dear. Panicked, my manager came out back to see if I was okay. I gazed at my hand and then to her, and I said, I can see bone. Oh, no. (sighs) Once at the hospital, the poor lady doing my x-ray asked me to straighten my hand after it was bandaged in a fist for several hours, and once I did, blood again flooded the machine. Oh, lordy. The nurse almost passed out. Several stitches and over a pint of blood lost later, I headed home with my tail between my legs, all because I couldn't help but show off my coffee brewing skills. Thank you for your podcasts. I listen religiously. I discovered the shallow end through the box of oddities. And while I adore the box, I'm more excited when I see a notification for a new episode of the shallow end every week. Much love. Keep up the good work. Your friend, Ashley. Thanks, Ashley. Thanks, Ashley, and I'm glad that uh, the bleeding stopped. Yeah, and you're healing up nicely. Because that was, sounds like several years ago, and, well, that would be a lot of blood in a few years. So. Yeah, it adds up. <clears throat> We're glad <laughs> it does add up. It tends to pool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're in the shallow end with Schnapley and Toth. I believe, if, uh, if tradition holds, that you now have a story for me. I do, I do indeed. In the early hours of June 18th, 2004, Burnett County, Texas, awoke to a scene that would uh, set the stage for a story that defied reason and left authorities scratching their heads. A vehicle engulfed in flames and reduced to a mere shell was discovered off the side of a road. 
The fire had been so intense, it melted parts of the car, leaving it charred and unrecognizable. Holy cow. Deputy William Talamantes arrived at the scene and was met with a pretty grim sight. Amidst the burnt wreckage, he found the remains of a body that had been reduced to a state beyond recognition. Oh, God, I was afraid you were going to say that. Yeah. The conditions were unusual and baffling, and the puzzle was only just beginning to unfold. Around the same time, Lori Daniels was frantically searching for her son, Clayton, who had gone missing. Clayton's last known whereabouts involved driving a borrowed Chevy Cavalier, the very same car that, uh, well, type of car anyway, that now uh, resembled a burnt marshmallow with wheels. Oh, no. Lori's concern deepened the mystery surrounding Clayton's disappearance and the burnt car's occupants intertwined in an inexplicable manner. Things I just have to say, JG, I I don't. I don't like this story so far. Okay, it gets better. I, okay. I promise you. It does. I'm just going on record. Yeah, okay, yeah. all right. It's hard to believe, but it does get better. Okay, go And on. it's actually funny. If you can make this one funny, you're a better man than me. Hey, we've had this argument before. I know, I know. Um, <laughs> the investigation in the burnt car's incineration led to questions that were perplexing. How had the fire burned so hot? Why were there no skid marks? Did the driver just fall asleep in the middle of a fire? It lacks clear answers, and it uh, moved the investigation into high gear. They wanted to know the circumstances surrounding the incident. Of course, so many unanswered questions. To complicate things, the medical examiner's findings added a layer of intrigue to the story. Uh, The autopsy revealed that there was no smoke in the lungs of the deceased person. And of course, that could suggest the person inside might not have been alive when the fire began. Um, Right. With this revelation, the cause of death remained uncertain, leaving authorities with more questions than answers. That's weird. Now, Clayton, the missing guy, was married to a woman named Molly. And right after the accident occurred, like within days, she was seen taking up with another man, Hmm. a, a man named Jake. Jake brought a whole new dimension to this saga. Jake bore an uncanny resemblance to Clayton, the missing man. (laughs) Really? Yeah. His transformation included a change of color and a different pair of boots. So Jake, this guy, Jake, who probably was Clayton, uh, was involved in a pivotal moment in the investigation that took place at a Taco Bell outing involving Jake and Molly, Clayton's wife. <laughs> Anything involving Taco Bell yeah. is, that's thumbs up in my book. As authorities discreetly observed this rendezvous, conversations between the two cast further doubt on the authenticity of Jake's identity. Now, At the same time, the discovery of evidence pointed to the presence of lighter fluid in the burnt car, and that created more suspicions that the fire was not accidental. And in addition to this, the body in the car was a woman. It couldn't couldn't have been Clayton. It was a woman, and not just a woman, but an elderly woman. Holy cow. So the body's not only female, it's an older female, and there's no smoke Inhalation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So. What the what? So Molly and Jake, if you will, 
They're at uh, Taco Bell, and the de- detectives confront them right there mid Chalupa. And <laughs> Molly had a very defensive reaction to the authorities, and that raised eyebrows. She said, sure. quote, why can't you just leave this alone? Her voice dripping with frustration and Taco Bell's creamy jalapeno sauce. <laughs> As investigators delved into Clayton's background, apparently a jailhouse informant had revealed a shocking twist that Clayton had dug up a dead body as part of a plan to fake his own death. Dun, dun, dun. The informant's revelation led to the breakthrough. Molly, confronted by authorities, confessed to the scheme, revealing that the charred body in the car was not Clayton's, but that of an 81-year-old woman named Charlotte Davis that they had dug up. Oh, my God. The conclusion of the puzzling saga saw Clayton and Molly facing charges related to insurance fraud and cemetery desecration. The audacious plan to fake Clayton's death and claim insurance money had spiraled into a series of absurd events that defied logic. So they wanted, they were, they were hard up for money, okay? They were living kind of day to day. They had a $110,000 life insurance policy under Clayton's name. So the idea was to fake his death by digging up an old woman and putting it in the car and setting it on fire. <laughs> And then he colored his hair and put on a different pair of boots and claimed to be a guy named Jake. Yeah. 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 That this is a brilliant, brilliant plan. Where do we find such intelligence? What might have started as a desperate ploy to escape legal consequences had become a labyrinth of deceit and confusion that didn't really fool law enforcement for very long. Molly's involvement in this bizarre charade uh, added an extra layer of complexity to the tale. The desperation to claim an insurance payout, coupled with her fear of losing custody of her children due to Clayton's criminal record, because he did have a pretty lengthy record, had driven her down a treacherous path paved with deceit and deceit upon deceit. Uh, And at the center of it all, of this unforgettable twist, the charred remains in the car were not Clayton's, but were an elderly woman who had passed several months prior. Clayton and Molly faced legal repercussions for their involvement, of course, in this elaborate insurance fraud scheme, as well as the desecration of a cemetery. Insurance fraud and cemetery desecration, of course, serious offenses that can carry significant penalties. They can vary depending upon the jurisdiction and the severity of the case. Uh, As for cemetery desecration, Penalties also can vary, but they usually involve criminal charges and potential imprisonment. Now, the story's conclusion brings us to a pivotal question. What happened to the body that was unearthed as a result of Clayton's bizarre plan? Following Molly's confession and subsequent investigations, it was revealed that the remains, that of 81-year-old Charlotte Davis, had been robbed from her grave after merely a couple of months, and she was returned to her resting place in a dignified way and the way that she deserved. In the aftermath of the revelations, legal proceedings were carried out, and part of the legal process was authorities ensured that uh, Charlotte's remains were treated with respect and returned to their rightful place. It, uh, they were reinterred. They were reinterred with with the dignity that they deserved to be reinterred with. Good for her. 
Molly and Clayton slash Jake, well, didn't end quite so well for them. <laughs> Which name did he end up using in prison? Um, it would have been, I think, Debbie was. <laughs> sure. You know. Just start all over. Yeah, just begin a whole yeah. new identity in, in, yeah. in life. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it was pretty harebrained scheme from the beginning, and it just kept getting stupider and stupider. And the fact oh that uh, they were willing to do this and have Clayton actually tell his jailmate uh, that he was going to do it. You know, he was in on a different charge. Uh, really just underscores the stupidity of this uh, harebrained scheme. Man, that's being kind. Yeah. I got my information from NBC News, Forensic Files Now, Oxygen, and the Herald Mail. First of all, kids, insurance fraud is never a good idea. But when you couple it with grave robbing, it's even worse. Yeah, yeah. Anytime, uh, as, a very, as a very general rule, anytime somebody comes up with an idea and says, all we have to do is dig up a body in a cemetery, <laughs> that should be your first clue. You should yeah. you should maybe back off. It reminds me of a bizarre tale. We, I, I think we talked about this on, on Box a long, long time ago. We were getting ready to go on a trip to Quebec in Canada. We were living in Maine at the time. And um, right before we did, uh, there was a, um, a deer that had been hit by a car on our, mm. our road. And it was, it was pretty nasty. And Cat, of course, very, very sensitive to animals being harmed. I went out with um, a shovel and uh, a tarp, and I, and I cleaned it up, and I dragged it out into the woods and, you know... That was the end of that. You gave it a decent burial? I did give it a decent burial. It was down the road a little bit from our house. So I cleaned it all up, and um, I threw the shovel and the tarp in the trunk and forgot about it until we got to the Canadian border. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. Tell me you didn't have a roll of duct tape, too. <laughs> I didn't have a roll of duct tape, no. But, but it was difficult explaining why I had a shovel and a bloody yeah. tarp in my trunk. Um, right. Finally, I, to I told them it was a deer and they were Canadians. So they're like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> sure. Sure. Happens all the time, eh? All you have to do is say you're from Maine and they would just wave you through. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not far from the truth. Not far from the truth. Anyway. Oh, that's funny. We love hanging out with you guys. Lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com is the uh, email address, the electronic connection device, the the spell that summons us. Oh, I like that. Please feel free to use it, but use it wisely. Yes. It's a tool, not a toy. And we'll see you next time. Make good choices. Your life might depend on it. So concludes another episode of The Shallow End with Schnebly and Toff. We thank you for listening. Oh, be a dear, would you? Please subscribe to this podcast, give these boys a five-star rating, and think of something nice to say, even if you have to make something and visit us online at shallowendpodcast.com. Okay, gotta go. <laughs>